Hi, and welcome to The Printcast, a podcast about the expanding world of printmaking today. I'm your host, Nick Naughton. The Printcast brings you interviews with some of the best contemporary printmakers, sharing anecdotes, business ideas, and technical tips with listeners everywhere. It's like print porn for your ears. Before we get into it, I wanted to invite you to become a supporter of The Printcast on our new Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash The Printcast, and... It's a simple process because there's only one level of donation, and it's called the cup of coffee level. So for $3 a month, you're basically buying me a cup of coffee symbolically, and in exchange, I'm making content that you can appreciate about the creative medium of printmaking, which you love, and it's all available on demand. This is at patreon.com forward slash the printcast. The fact is, to grow and expand the show... I need to develop a way to create a budget. And what I'm doing right now is I'm going to do that through community. So anyway, if you want to support the show, thank you tons in advance. Um, If you don't, you'll still get to have this show just like you're hearing it right now. And um, one way or another, we'll figure out a way for the show to sustain itself. Over the weekend, I dropped by the 2020 Los Angeles Fine Print Fair in Pasadena, California. After a short L.A. commute, which for me is about 35 minutes from my apartment, I found myself at a small convention center in a room with about 16 booths. Um, And these were all regional and national print vendors. So in the stacks, I encountered all kinds of great stuff. The stuff I love seeing, you know, Leonard Baskin, Kathy Callowitz, Elizabeth Catlett, Durer, Argoya, Picasso, um, Gustav Bauman. There was a whole lot to look through. And there was a dealer who was selling Eastern European prints, which, like, we're talking, like, intaglio and litho, typically, but really detailed and intimate in a way that you can always recognize and find when you see this type of work. It was really great to see that. And I saw a really amazing Japanese print by an artist um, named Kiura Obata, who does woodcuts that essentially look like watercolor paintings. It's, like, 50 or 60 layers, expertly done, and just amazing, really. Um, like, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between one of these prints and a watercolor itself, like, next to one another of the same subject matter. It's that good. Other highlights, you know, I saw this massive catalog about Gustav Bauman. It included every work that he'd ever done, all of his landscape woodcuts, which are, you know, oddly enough, it's like a landscape sort of day for me. Um, but uh, <laughs> But anyway, really cool book. It was like three or four inches thick and just included so much imagery and information that you would learn everything you'd ever want to know about this artist. I was also excited to see a table um, by the local L.A. organization, Self-Help Graphics. They rent studio time, teach classes, and do a lot of community programs, and they also publish print work. So they had a huge selection of stuff that you could sift through. And in general, I always encourage and like to support you know businesses and organizations in the local area where I live that push printmaking in some kind of way Um, because I think that's cool and want more of that to exist. So overall, it was a really cool trip. Great to see um, Southern California has some interesting stuff going on in the print scene. I hope it continues to grow. Things become bigger, more expansive, more inclusive um, because there's a lot going on here that oddly enough, like wasn't at this fair. So, you know, hopefully we'll see that all grow in the future. Today on the podcast, I have Leslie Duguid a Brooklyn-based artist and professional screen printer. Leslie was brought to my attention um, because we share a bit of backstory, actually. We both have connections to the Kansas City Art Institute and the print department there. KCAI is a small arts college in Kansas City, Missouri, and that's where Leslie received her BFA 
And soon after, I started teaching and taught for about seven years as an adjunct professor there. Um, so we have a lot in common. And she grew up in the Midwest and then made her way to the East Coast, where she runs her shop, Do Good Press, and works by day at Powerhouse Arts. Um, Powerhouse is a massive facility. Um, they actually just built a new, a new building and headquarters, and it's devoted to creative exchange and production in Brooklyn and includes facilities for printmaking, wood fabrication, metalworking, ceramics, and textile. Um, it's really impressive stuff. And often in um, Leslie's Instagram, like, you know, I'll see her post stories about burning screens, you know, to do projects like that, you know, the size of my car, like really massive scale and just working on really complex things. And we talk about how she structures that day job life with all the other additional projects that she runs out of her studio, Do Good Press. So if you want to learn more, you can find her on Instagram at Do Good Press, D-U-G-O-O-D. P-R-E-S-S. Um, it's all one word. And we recorded this chat last fall in New York City. So I think you'll enjoy the lively discussion. We talk about printmaking, um, screen printing, the Brooklyn scene, and just in general, her journey um, through life as an artist making prints for a living. So on to the show. was encouraged to be an illustrator and to do more with making money through art rather than just making art for art's sake. Having an end result is a bigger passion in my heart now. So it's not yeah. necessarily about myself anymore. It's just about the undo redo qualities and what I can do as a kind of middleman in different ways. You're listening to The Printcast, Season 2, for sophisticated arty types. Recently, while reading about the baby boomers, I pondered their generational impact on the art world. And it's come up multiple times during the 2019 Print Week in New York. From their influence in art and auctions to education, where many of the oldest tenured professors are still putting off retirement, it's nice to see the light at the end of the tunnel where new generations of artists and printmakers will be given more latitude to change the direction of art and the dynamics of how the art world is structured. One artist who comes to mind in this vein of fresh new talent is artist Leslie Duguid. She opened her screen print shop called Do Good Press in Brooklyn in 2017, and she's been printing artist editions with fresh new artists you might not have seen before. If you follow Leslie online, you may have seen her pulling prints around New York, including some of the biggest screen prints I've ever seen. She comes across full of energy, joy, fearlessness, and in the face of large-scale challenges, she doesn't back down, whether that be in an editioning shop or in her personal studio. So I'm excited to welcome Leslie onto the mic today, to be interviewed at the 2019 IFPDA Fine Art Print Fair. Leslie Duguid, welcome to the Printcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. That yeah, was such you're a good welcome. Introduction. Well, I try, you know. Really appreciate it. Thank you for coming to the fair. Um, you're my last interview here, which is fun, and it's been a whirlwind, but, um, but yeah, how are you doing today? I'm amazing. Saturdays are always my favorite. I have a pretty big routine that I go through to get to this point, so. I'm glad to uh, be through that and at the fun part of the journey today. <laughs> kind of unwinding and just having a chat here. Exactly. Um, well, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone like what you do? Great. Um, yeah, like you said, my name is Leslie Duguid. I've been printing since 2006. I went to the Kansas City Art Institute and decided in 2006 that I would major in printmaking, but... That was just because I found people that were cool and had an RA, uh, Megan Mantia, who was a... Oh, get out. I know Megan. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah Kansas City Connections. Yeah. She's hugely influential in a lot of different ways, but 
you know, finding people that you're interested in kind of help gravitate where you're going to be later on. So she was a big influence in that. Nice. Yeah. And so were you um, in the print department at KCAI or, yeah? Yeah, I was in printmaking and I was also a tour guide. So I learned a lot about all of the different departments. But oh, nice. it was also cool because I made friends with a lot of teachers and it made it easy to kind of sneak around when I wanted to. So it wasn't really about using the different shop facilities. It was more about making friends across different uh, mediums in various ways. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I've been talking to people this weekend about like, like some programs are kind of going way more interdisciplinary, which I think is like how they all should be moving, you know, because it makes more sense. Like we all have broad kinds of interests and things. Definitely. Um, even though we might end up focusing in like one vein, like you or I have. But, uh, but yeah, what was it like at the Kansas City Art Institute when you were there? Like I know it more from like 2010-ish onward sort of time frame, but... That's exactly like after I was gone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we just missed each other, which is weird. And it was like way later, I think my girlfriend or somebody I know like pointed you out to me and we're like, oh, hey, you should look her up. She'd be a really good interview. And awesome. Yeah. That's great to have the word of mouth connection. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And for some reason, like in, in building the show and like finding people to interview and just researching all the time and paying attention more, I feel like it's like easier to connect and find people and the community feels like smaller and smaller like bigger and smaller at the same time, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I'm nodding my head because I, he I heard the word community and it is something that takes a lot of noticing what's around you rather than finding your phone and deciding like, I need this person to plug in this fit and it doesn't always, obvious. it doesn't make obvious the connections that are more obvious in the world of people around you. So yeah. word of mouth. Well, yeah, we're it. all like connected, what, it's not. It's like two degrees of Kevin Bacon, I think. It's yeah. Not, not even six or seven now, but uh, but so um, you run your shop here. It's in Brooklyn, correct? Yeah, I moved it from Manhattan in Meeker. That's someplace in Greenpoint, kind of Williamsburg area near McCarran Park. Uh, started it in a live workspace with my boyfriend. So Royal Jarman helped me build out and design and do a lot of the work that went into creating the equipment that I needed to run a shop on my own. Uh, but a lot of that was also bartered through printing shirts for people that could do more larger scale building for me. So it was kind of a networking connection and just making things off the ground in the first place. But yeah. having the equipment in the first place came from uh, my grandfather. I got inheritance money after he passed away and I could afford to get the few bigger equipment needs that I wanted to do additioning. Um, and then from there, I kind of built around it so that I could kind of expand. But it really took a lot of research and like, what's the paper size I want to work on? Okay, what kind of framing goes into that? How is a framing affordable? And then kind of scaling down from what it would be like on a wall and understanding how the production goes into making that wall piece affordable. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to design my whole business around making artwork affordable just to buy. And then under translating that to artists so that they could understand what I could do to help them and their careers. But also doing publishing at the same time. So I also invite people to make artwork with me. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, if, if you do, I'm sure you do your own stuff out of the shop, and I've seen, like, you do, like, booths at, you know, fairs and things like that. But is the is the main push of your shop to do additioning, or do you do, like, 
custom work for like random clients and people who just need stuff printed, like screen printed? or That's you... a good question, and a lot of it has to do with the amount of time and energy I have to commit to the different projects. Sure, yeah. So if it's, you know, I could charge whatever I want for these things, but the time element makes it so I can only spend so much time on them if I'm also committed to keeping a day job. Yeah. Um, and having that day job allows me to not have to work towards money elements in the business that I want to do. So sure, yeah. it's easier to kind of take that stress away from me in that amount of time and just put the spare time that I do have towards things that I can make with people that can be quick enough, but also done well enough. So it's scaling down things in a way, but also making them affordable and economical and not wasteful on a page size. So there's a lot of uh, math that goes into making things affordable. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The amount of math I do. I'm so happy I'm good (laughs) at math because I don't know what I would be doing if I didn't know how to... Yeah, just like just cutting paper and stuff. You yeah, know? it's just exactly. like there's so much to it. Um, so, so yeah. So, what's like your so if you're making work that you think is affordable, like what's like the sweet spot? Do you have like a standardized kind of price, or it varies per artist, or what do you do? It varies per project. So, if somebody says I need three different editions done in a month, you know, that's a time deadline that I have to work towards, and I can say, okay, two of them can be three colors, and one of them has to be one color, or whatever the breakdown on that has to be. Yeah. Uh, but it's something where it's a communication effect with the artist or the publisher or the deadline that needs to be met. So it's always kind of keeping whatever hard deadline there is in mind um, to make the client happy. But mm-hmm. it's a whole lot of communicating, which I don't always have time for. So it's also just being realistic with people about how I can work with them and what they're expecting out of me. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, you have to be clear up front or like... They don't. They almost don't know what to do either. Exactly. You know, in, in that situation, like so, when you're um, when you um, work with people, I think I saw on your website, but I was going to ask, like, do you only bring in people that you want to work with, or do you? I saw like maybe you have people who help you choose some artists you want to work with. Yeah, my website doesn't do a great job of explaining the thing that I do mostly, <laughs> <laughs> which is just dealing with clients that have projects in mind that I can print. Yeah. So. I'll do a lot of client work basically right now and contract sure. printing. Okay. But I have to steer people away from doing anything that's t-shirt tote bag related. I'll oh my God. do that at a, if it's appropriate for something that I can handle. Otherwise, I feel comfortable shooting those projects off to friends that are interested in doing their own business skills and printing labor things for money. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I like being kind of a networker for that kind of purpose and advancing the careers of people that I like uh rather than it just being you know quick turnaround t-shirt job projects are just not my favorite so yeah uh, but what i prefer to do is additioning because the time that i spend on something i want it to last forever you know if it's going to be made by hand if it's going to be printed by me i'm going to make it last forever and t-shirts just don't i appreciate the quality and the craftsmanship that goes into it Mm -hmm. from the textile being made to it being sewn in whatever country it's from but when something goes wrong with the printing at it, uh, the last step in the production process, you know, a lot of the time on T-shirts is printing. Then it goes to the client and they say, this is the wrong color. Can you do it over again? This oh, isn't my favorite placement. Can you undo, redo this and do it all over? No, 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 no. I've no. <laughs> had a lot of experience in that industry and I just don't appreciate the wastefulness that it causes in the environment that we live in i'm just not about that so i'm so with you yeah we've done i've done events where we you know we'd go into it with like 
just mountains of tote bags to print or something. And then we, we only use some of them. But th at the end, it's like there's nothing you can do with those. Like, what do you, you can't do return with that? them. Yeah. And so we threw away like thousands of them at one point, and people were taking them to like pack other goods with them as just like material, you know? And it, it's just weird. And, and yeah, after you've made shirts at a certain point, like you've made, like you see the waste and you don't want to like contribute and like, and anybody can do that. You anybody know? can do that. And especially that. if you're more driven like an artist, it's like, it's not satisfying at a certain point either. Exactly. You know? But that's why I've been gravitating towards more doing workshops and teaching people how to do that themselves. Because sure, yeah. if somebody messes up their own t-shirt tote bag, they're still happy with being able to make it in the first place so exactly just yeah. teaching people how to make stuff is an easier way to understand the process that goes along with the final product that they want um but that's something i don't want to handle anymore so just passing that off is an easier way for me to deal with that kind of client request yeah and do you um do you do like workshops out of your space or do you do them in like in other, other I, locales? Yes. Or? So it took a while for me to clean up my backyard. I moved from my space in Greenpoint to the space I used to live in actually in Bedsty, And that brownstone has five guys living in it and myself. So I have a whole process of cleaning up the backyard, cleaning up the downstairs where I live in my room on Saturdays. And then I can blossom into a butterfly, make my hair big and feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it really takes a lot of work to get to that point. So now that I've got the backyard straightened up, I've been living in this place since June. And it took a lot of build out to get my whole studio in there first and then my living equipment. So I continue to do client work that yeah. was requested, uh, which I don't like saying no to because they're special friends of mine. I don't really advertise that I do client work, but people find me and ask me anyway. And I say yes when I can because I get excited about projects. Um, Point of the story is I do want to do workshops out of my live workspace, but it's just a matter of time in order for the season to not change before I have time to do it outside. So it'll all happen in the backyard at some point. So look out for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I first reached out to you, you were just about to move, I think is what mm -hmm. it was. And then, yeah. And then all time passed. That was like what, June or exactly. May or I don't know. It was a yeah. while ago, but, um, yeah, I'm glad. Really, I'm happy we didn't do it then because now we can do it in person, which I like prefer yeah. so much more. So nice. I wish even better we were like in your shop doing it, which would like be the top, you know, creme de la creme of interviews. But um, yeah, in your studio, so it's from pictures, it doesn't look super big. Like what? No, it is you... tiny. Everyone's surprised how little it is yeah. when they're in there. The bigger space is like 10 by 9 feet square, so that's 90 square feet. And the littler space with my exposure unit and big work table is. Six by six, so it's, wow, what, that's 150 so small. square feet? Is that math? I think that kind of works out. Something like that, yeah. But that's the indoor space, and that's where I have all the production capabilities, and I sleep on a futon because I think it's cozy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to have all my equipment around me is going to be the more important factor rather than being cozy while I'm asleep. It's not that important. I know. Um, it's not like you're aware when you're asleep, you know? Yeah. So, I have yeah. weird priorities. <laughs> For instance, having a swing in my backyard was really important to me, so I got one. Home Depot, thank you. Um, but, you know, these different things make it easier for future production capabilities later on. Having a work table outside makes it so I can do workshops, but I can also do weird projects when I need them to be done. So it's kind of a space where I can leave it open enough so that I can do these weird things, but um, it's all very move-aroundable, so nothing's that set in stone. Yeah. Flexibility can be good. Um, and then do you... Um 
so you live, you like sleep in the shop? Yeah, like so there's two different shops I work out of. Yeah. My live workspace and that one, I can do all my tinkering and experiments and come up with projects and do uh, chroming and separations and play with colors. I have a whole capability to do all of the start to finish production there. Yeah. Communicating with clients, all that. I have people over and do visits and that's important for them to see when I'm where I'm working to do these different things. Totally, yeah. And then I can scale up and do things at uh, Powerhouse Arts, my day job. Uh, I'm a fabricator in the print shop, and that's a collaborative workspace. So we work with artists in a really large-scale studio uh, to print what they need. And it's all very neat because we can do editions, we can do one-offs. We do a lot of Lorna Simpson, Oscar Murillo jobs, but it's also making it inviting for teenagers to do internships um, and they're all paid and everybody's really well taken care of and I super appreciate having the capabilities to print out of that space as well. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is being on my P's and Q's to make sure shit gets done during the day so that I can have that extra time for working on my own stuff after hours. Yeah. And I I mean, I'm sure at some point you, you'll, you'll make your way to being full-time just doing your own thing too, you know, but I think... I'm with you. I I tried forever to do things on my own and I ended up chasing the money like you talked about where it was like I kind of just took all these different gigs and it was fine for a while. But then I started just looking at like I'm not into so many of these types of things anymore and like they've just gotten redundant or once you've made greeting cards or business cards or lots of stuff, you know, it gets yeah. a little bit like where you see your life passing by kind of and you want to like do other things and there's more important work like artwork for artists and things that would be so much more meaningful and like satisfying to you, you know, and feed your soul kind of. Definitely. You know? I for sure make really good friends with all the clients that I work with, which yeah. is, I think, professional. <laughs> I think that's a professional thing to do. But then out of that, I get more investment in what the product is going towards. So it's not yeah. necessarily just like, okay, client, you make a bunch of money and I'm going to sit over here and keep printing for other people and keeping keeping my head down. But I can go to openings all the time with this kind of lifestyle. I can do a lot more with celebrating the work that I do make and promoting it as well. So it's not just me being the, you know, printer being super disconnected from what's actually going on with the work that's being made. Yeah. Um, so instead of chasing money, I do a lot more chasing people. Um, but, you know, I don't really have an ideal client. I just have a lot of friends that I really love and care about. So it's hard to um, prioritize individual relationships because mm -hmm. I kind of like doing a project, moving on, keeping in touch with all these people, but it's really yeah. difficult to keep track of them once their project is done for me. Yeah. So just, and after a while you have a stack of all these projects and you're just like, and even those are all kind of equal, just like, uh, it's just, they're all just like cool prints and like, yeah. and then you remember them and you're like, oh yeah, that one was really great. But totally. it's like, you just kind of move on and it's always about the next one, you know? Definitely. I mean, um, space-wise, that that's what makes it difficult to prioritize doing my own publishing. Um, so if I were to ask an artist, like, hey, Nick, I really like your work. Can I do some printing of the pieces that you find people really want more of? And that would be neat to collaborate with someone else on that kind of production. Yeah. But where am I going to put it? Who am I going to sell it to? Do I just put it online? You know. Oh, for sure. And there's different platforms that make it easier for that in this day and age. But sure. like what you were saying with the baby boomer effect, it's not just about having a massive collection of stuff that you really like. It's about sharing that with a community of people. Yeah. And that's why I really like being a part of a group that I'm in, Black Women of Print. It was, oh, totally. Yeah, I've yeah. been following that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, it's really well organized. Tanikia Word is the um, lead person behind all of it, and she's a really amazing educator. Yeah. Uh, but it's got to be difficult to rope all these people together to 
be one behind a common cause, but it's really not. And she's doing a really great job communicating and making sure that we're all on the same page. Well, tell me about that organization. Cause I know, um, when was it, was it like African-American history month or something? Like she posted like one a day, like that different artists. Sounds or, right. Yeah. Yeah. She is really great about doing research and having a great archive of women that have come before us and yeah. also making sure that we're taking note of people that came before us and, we have a portfolio project coming out soon that is a nod to all of these women that we're influencing, that we actually got influenced from their different works. So the woman that I chose was Wanda Ewing, and I made an addition about her. She was a really amazing woman who was from Omaha, Nebraska, and she died shortly after I lived there for four years. But she was a huge mentor of mine, and I made a lot more connections through her and got to know a lot of different communities through printmaking because of her. And her career really shaped the version of what I wanted to be as an artist and as a printmaker. So um, definitely valuing education within that, but making sure that the world can kind of become a bigger, more diverse place would kind of make a better market for all of us. I feel like that's the work over the next like decades is like correcting the course of things and like trying to update the canons of like who we should know about, who we should think about, the work that's like celebrated from way back. You know, it's just yeah. like it's so even now it's still so edited and Definitely. doesn't represent the diverse nature of our culture at all, like this country at least. And like and yeah, and I see things now kind of bubbling up on like the fronts of like social media and things where people can like reach lots of people. You yeah, know? and that's and for sure a really good uh, leveler of the market is just having everyone yeah. to have access to social media so that no one has more say than others. Although with the algorithms that are going on right now, I, I feel like there's a helping hand and yeah. boosting some people more than others. Or I don't know how it works, but I yeah, I'm not a fan of whatever it is that they're doing. It, it shows me too many things that they think I want to see, and yeah. I want to see things that I don't expect to see. Exactly. You know, Just more. keep it chronological. That's my yeah. jam. Oh, I would love that. I like say spam is inappropriate a lot and like try to get those things out of my way, but it's I not wish. bad to have those like suggestions but I often I, I just feel but, so used you know well yeah and it's like an assumption like oh you liked you liked <laughs> that and you slowed your scroll on these like four oh times God, and so now it. we're going to show you pictures of shoes every day and no. it's just like I was shopping for shoes once I bought some <laughs> quit like I'm done yeah you know? paid cash you wouldn't know about that <laughs> yeah well they would because they listen in you know God they, they listen to you now so um but no but yeah is that um uh, back to what we were talking about like is that um organization like located here do you all meet here or is it like across the country or we once did a conference call and that was nice but everyone's all over the place yeah Yeah. um and i have a list of all the members angela pilgrim delta martin uh i'm sorry delita martin jennifer do you know her work yeah oh yeah oh they're all really amazing and i wouldn't have known about them without black women of print being a group in the first place um jennifer mack watkins is in new jersey and she's really amazing she came to my studio and printed some projects there latoya hobbs stephanie santa santana Santana. sorry and tanikia ward so oh yeah her too yeah everyone's just hugely influential in terms of being able to do what they do and have different day jobs but also advancing their careers in different ways it's just really amazing to see that and be a part of it yeah oh i bet i mean that's really cool um and so what your involvement in that, like what, uh, besides this print, that, like this project, it was a print or multiple pieces you did? Or? This is a portfolio project. So yeah. it's everyone's creating their own individual 
print that is based on appreciating a different black woman printmaker that came okay. before us. Um, so it hasn't been released yet. I haven't seen all the artwork from it yet, and mm-hmm. I'm really excited. And um, it's taking a lot of work to put it all together super duper nicely. Um, so when it does get released, you'll definitely know about it. Yeah, yeah. Where is it going to be shown somewhere? Is it for a purpose to be? Different institutions have been purchasing it or calling dibs on certain ones, but I'm yeah. not privy to the knowledge of who is getting what yet. Okay. But yeah, yeah. You should try to see if you can show it like at like. You know things like Southern Graphics and like oh, places sure. where like tons of pre, you know print people especially would appreciate. Um, That's a great idea. But uh, so what else are you involved in? Oh wait, let's go back to because you mentioned Powerhouse. Oh yeah. And I heard a little bit prior to us starting this interview, but like what? Tell me more about that because you were kind of blowing my mind with some of the stuff I was hearing about the build out and eventuality of what it's going to be. Yeah, no, it's a really great pat on the back to the work that I've done to get to this point in my career. Um, Luther Davis approached me about this job as a fabricator in the print shop uh, about a year ago at this point. And at the time I was working for Alexander Henrici in his studio and learning a ton about fine art printing that's beyond the scope of anything. That's all very closed doors in the first place. A lot of printmaking, as you know, um, in the last century has been a lot of behind closed doors and like special access only but if you apprentice and get to the right people and can do your p's and q's in the right spots and get technically good enough at what you do then yeah you can be qualified for these things i applied for a chromis position with alexander henrici when i first moved to new york about six years ago and didn't even get a response email but when i knew someone who was already working there and he offered me a job i was immediately hired you know after spending a day making a production that went well. Um, so I worked with Alexander Henrici for eight months after I left K-Rock Screen Printing um, in 2018. Where are we? 19, 2017? I forget what year that was. Point of the story is Luther approached me. Everything was going great and told me about Powerhouse and how they're going to be the fabrication mecca that will not replace art schools, but give people that have an artistic focus a place to make work without if they don't have the equipment, for instance, you know, if you're an etch, if you, if you went to school and did a lot of printmaking and lithography etchings and all that, you don't you really need all the equipment, all of the equipment to make anything a at all. A ton of stuff. Exactly. It's like you need to soak paper, dry paper, like, yeah, everything. Yeah. It's so insane. right now we're doing really large scale and small scale fine art printing at uh, this temporary space in Red Hook. Uh, but it will be in a 170,000 square foot space in Gowanus, and it'll do a lot more community service to incorporate people that are there already to have jobs and be placed in different arts organizations throughout the city. So it's going to be a lot of partnering. And the director, Katie Dixon, says a lot that if the building fell down, which hopefully it will not, that's a knock on wood situation. <laughs> yeah. It's not even built yet. They're working on that right now. Uh, but she said if the building fell down, it would still be an institution based on the amount of networking and collabor- collaboration that's going to be going on. Uh, just through training alone, it's going to do a lot to revolutionize the art world in New York. Um, yeah. And hopefully beyond that. Because um, it's going to house more. So it'll have a big print, print studio that's like, what, 9,000 square foot, yep. I think you said. And mm-hmm. then other mediums are going to yeah, be in so, the building. Like- yeah, right now the print shop is doing really well at continuing to do the business that used to be owned by Excel. And once that business went under, it was bought by Powerhouse Arts. And Powerhouse has been a really great um, 
I don't know, bigger company that can use, but we do and incorporate that into textile, fabrication, metal, woodworking, and ceramics. So it'll do a lot with the information that we do have to connect with artists and show them what's capable in different fabrication technicalities. But I mean, through doing that, you'll have a skilled base of workers that come from all over the place, but those workers would help train other people to do these types of jobs in different organizations so that if you're wanting to do art handling, you can go through Powerhouse's training program and then do that same stuff in different organizations. Uh, But learning the base level skills is tough to come by and it's usually word of mouth in New York to get those types of jobs mm-hmm. um, which I did a lot for free and that was not okay at the I mean it was okay at the time but it's very <laughs> frowned upon now because I, know. I mean insurance alone is <clears throat> stupid but um, yeah that's true you have to be paid for your services that's why I don't have a lot of helpers like I want to make sure that when I do have helpers when I do need them they're getting paid in more than just printer's proofs but also having you know a hand in the job means that you're going to get paid to do the work it's just a time is money kind of a thing and everyone should be valued for whatever kind of effort is going into that i think it's shifting because i know you know the free internship kind of thing was going forever and i think it still does quite a bit and like i'll admit i've had interns who i couldn't pay and i didn't make them do just grueling work all the time it wasn't like they were just like burning screens only and kind of just like doing this like dirty work for me but um but i always tried to make it interesting and like when i could you know my last intern i had at my old shop like I, like, took her to L.A. and, like, took her on trips and stuff yeah. that like, she never would have done otherwise. She had a great time. Exactly. And, like, we did all kinds of cool work together. And we still keep up, like, we're, you know, almost like we're family at this point. So, totally. Um, like, I weaseled my way into a lot of really big artist studios, and I would never have been able to do that without working for free in these different ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. With no experience, you know. But for some reason, having an inexperienced person work for free is acceptable, and that doesn't make any sense at all to me. No, it doesn't. And it wouldn't make sense... It especially goes on in, like, the creative fields and, like, when you're young. But it's, like, it wouldn't work in so many other settings. And you wonder why it, like, flies. Like, why can we do that to, like, 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds when, you know, you don't have, like, 45-year-olds, like, interning at Microsoft for free, like, hoping maybe they get turned into a job. It's, like, no. Like, it's not yeah, the same Yeah, this economy's thing, you know? gone too far in a direction. And it's, it's weird. getting um, changed at this point. So I'm happy to be part of that shift. Yeah. But why don't we start, so your, your press is, what, like a phonetic take on your name, right? Yeah, Do Good is how my name is pronounced. Yeah. And my grandfather came up with that in the 40s. He started his own business because of market shifts at the time. Black men couldn't own their own businesses or, um, they could, he did, uh, but it was difficult for him to get to that point. Sure, yeah. And where, yeah, what business did he have or where, where was he when he... Do Good Chemical Laboratory Manufacturers in St. Louis, Missouri, and he paid cash for a building and had his brothers come help him build it out out of an old animal hospital. So he turned oh, wow. a lot of the stalls into you know different lab tables that he could use to mix chemical elements, and all of this came after going to school for a decade or more. He went to Cornell University, but at the time it was one black person in at a time, and that meant that he had to wait several years for someone else to graduate before he was admitted into grad school. He was admitted, wow. but he couldn't go until this other person left because it's just one at a time was there. Like, one in, one out? Yeah, like, yeah. That's ridiculous. Isn't it? That was it's a funny like, way to make things Why work. would they? Uh, I don't know. I can't even walk through the logic of it. It's just so bizarre. Another um, bizarre thing was that, yes, he got all these degrees in advanced chemistry and he's doing great in his field. 
okay, great. Now he wanted to work in a company that would hire him. And they said, like, oh, you know, your skin is a light complexion, but you call yourself black is what they thought of him at the time. And so they were like, if you wanted to just say you're white, you could be a chemist here. But otherwise, if you want to call yourself black, you're going to have to sweep the floors. But, you know, good luck. God. Sweep the floors if you want, or monitor this chemical that's really unstable and it shouldn't be handled by human hands. But, you know, you as a black chemist, if you want to do this job that's super dangerous, we'll let you do it. Like, 90, a, a lot of percentage of the people doing this, I can't say 90, I, I forget what the ac- actual data is on that, died, you know, while at work. And wow. it's just terrible that that was a thing. But starting his own business in the Midwest was easier for him at the time. So he was also teaching and doing a lot more than just his job. So uh, bringing up a big community of businessmen in the neighborhood was part of his goal as well. Nice. Yeah. He was supporting other people to like, I don't know, probably give insight too to like how to, how to use the system, work the system. Totally. Given that he had to probably navigate all these things. Um, And then your father... What was it I saw? Your father wrote a book? Yeah, it's called Our Fathers Black... um, Sorry, I kind of messed it up. Our Fathers Making Black Men. Yeah. Um, And it's about community and the different kind of ways that you can engage people, uh, but also not by using them in a way that makes them useless. So it's kind of teaching someone to fish rather than just giving them fish. So it's making it so that... Just by having my grandfather have different kids on the street work in his shop, you know, giving them a nickel and a dime every so so often when they earn their keep and all that. Um, then it was inspiring them to have their own businesses and not just saying that like, oh, you know, the things that I can do in the industry are going to be manual labor oriented or they're going to be this and that. But they can actually use their brains and get to a bigger point because they have a different perspective on the way industry works and the way that yeah. they can kind of have a helping hand in different ways. So. Definitely having a um, diversity of backgrounds in different industries is a big way to make advancements in different fields that I've found. But my dad's book is a huge inspiration for why I started my business in the first place. Yeah. It came out after my grandfather had passed away, but um, he had been through... My grandfather went through a lot in his life, obviously, but a lot of it I didn't know until I read this book. Um, I've heard a lot of family history stories over dinner table conversations. Yeah. Uh, But just through reading it, actually helped it stick a little bit better. He's, uh, my dad's a, Louis Duguid is a renowned journalist and travels the world now working with an organization called NAME, which is the National Association of Multicultural Education. Him and his partner, uh, Betty Tate Beaver, do that in different locations around the world and kind of spread the word of education through journalistic pl- practices, but mostly by encouraging people to have a diversity of opinions. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's a big shoe to fill, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, then how do you end up being, like, this creative artist type that you are? Like, I'm just weird. I was never one to fit in a box. Like, were you, like, an artist, like, from, from like, an early, early age? Like, did yeah. that just, like, sprout out of you? Or, well, like- yeah, I would say so. I have, I have a kind of innate knowledge and interest in breaking things and taking them apart. And doesn't necessarily work in 3D anymore. I used to have a set that I could, you know, put this together in this way and you get a helicopter. Okay, take it apart and put it back together in this way and you get a car, you know. Yeah. And that, like, fascinated me for hours on end. 
Um, but, you know, going through that same process of breaking down, putting back together is a different way you can form a drawing, form a shape, and trace Vogue magazine models with my sister and her friends on the back porch for hours also at a time. So I have this, like, patience in doing things for a long time just based on what else is going on, listening to podcasts, like having friends around to have conversations with. But a lot of that is just interest in undo, redo knowledge. So taking yeah. things apart and putting them back together is an interest that I can foster through doing chroming and separations and understanding how colors work now. But having that background as a kid and not having a lot of structure when it comes to this is what you have to do um, to make a living. I was encouraged to be an illustrator and to do more with making money through art rather than just making art for art's sake. Having an end result is a bigger passion in my heart now. So it's not yeah. necessarily about myself anymore. It's just about the undo redo qualities and what I can do as a kind of middleman in different ways. But yeah. Yeah. You're like a vehicle through which like these projects come to light, you know? Totally. Um, so let me ask, like you keep saying the word chroming and I don't know why, but it's like not a term that I'm like familiar with or use, but what is that? What is that referring to? Like you're mixing colors or exactly. Yeah. So it's mixing colors and it's coming up with how a piece of art can be separated down into single layers. Yeah. I always called that separations as a, yeah, that's what I always called it print separations or something like Until that. Until I started doing more fine art printing with Luther and with Alexander Henrici, they referred to that process as chroming, um, which is technically correct, of course. But yeah, sure. Before it was called that, it was called stripping. People that did that were called strippers, which is funny to me. <laughs> Uh, but Since then, phased out, of course. But, yeah, uh, that's different. Strippers. But anyway, the person doing the <laughs> process of figuring out how a final piece of artwork can be screen printed, you have to break that down to one color at a time. And a lot of the time, those colors sit on top of each other and make new ones, where they oh, yeah. block each other out with trapping. And they, you know, you, you do your best to try to make it look invisible. But that's such a science and a craft and an art that takes a lot more patience and um, experience of doing it a lot of time to know what you're capable of and how colors work together and don't. So a lot of it is training your eye and your hand and your Photoshop abilities or painting, hand painting films abilities. But what I try to do a lot more times nowadays, rather than making my pen stroke or brush stroke look like someone else's is just training an artist that this is the process of how I'm going to make your print into one color at a time or your painting into one color at a time this is what I need from you is you to just do one stroke and I'll put that into the print and make it exactly like it looks for you. Uh, but having the artists do it themselves is a lot more, uh, it's just a special, it just looks so nice to me. It just looks a lot nicer when someone else can have the final touch. That's just a super pretty one rather than me doing it myself. I just don't yeah. like my own work as much as everyone else's. Uh, but so I do talking like, like hand drawn, like separations. Oh yeah. Of, yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. just so nice. Which always is super fresh. Like, do you have people use, like, what, like, paint markers, rapidograph ink? Like, what are they? Yeah, sometimes they can just use whatever they want as long as, on, as it's on acetate and I can overlay it to see if it fits. Yeah. It's not really about it being opaque and black to burn the screen. It's more about it fitting in the right way. And then I can just scan that, take it to a large-scale scanning place, and then work with it digitally so that it can fit the way I want it to. Um, so I use computers and Photoshop as a tool, Illustrator. Uh, but I try not to rely on it too heavily to get the results that I really want. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, like, in the chroming and the, the separating process, if you use, do you ever use, like, Separation Studio or any of the, the software? I don't that, know what that is. No, what is that? No, it's, um, uh, I can't think of what the company's name. I don't know. They, 
I'll have to look it up. But the company, um, they sell one software called AccuRip, which I use. Oh, they yeah. make AccuRip. Yeah, they made AccuRip. I cannot think of the name. Of the, I should know this. But they made AccuRip, and that's like software for printing films, as you yes. know. Yes. And really efficient and like really bomb like i used that thing like every day of my life for a long time nice. but separation studio is like an additional bit of software that allows you to color break down like anything so you could take any image and like put it in there that down. and it's not cheap don't get me wrong it's i've played with it cuz i did like the demo trial but i never i just never had like major crazy things to try to break apart into flat layers but what it can do is you can break it apart and it'll it'll basically like automatically tear it apart into like 14 colors or something like that. Oh. And then you can look at all of those layers in little tiles in oh. the software and you can see that like this one and that one and that one have like very little information and so then you can like glump, you know, kind of clump those onto other ones oh. and whittle down what looks very complicated color-wise into like a five color print, which is very doable. Definitely. Versus like the 13 that you would have maybe had to try to do. That's neat. And it takes all of like the craziness out of it and then you just know exactly what pantones and stuff to mix and you just like execute and just like knock it out. Wow. Um, I'm so accustomed to doing everything the hard way first. And then I can, I and then I learned that there's, there's like so many hard way. ways to do it. You yeah. Know? Like, I know. I <laughs> just, I feel the same way. But knowing how to do things the analog harder way and then finding these technologies makes it so much easier to tinker with the in between so that you get the results that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of what I do at Powerhouse is just being on press, you know, being a printer, being a print helper. There's a lot of teamwork involved with working so large scale and, um, everybody has different skills that they're better at than others. Um, so whenever I do have downtime, I help put together the vision and mission statement and do all this cool office work that they want fabricators to be a part of. And I'm super happy to represent the print shop in that. But I uh, do get a huge, huge amount out of just doing the normal things in the shop, even just cleaning up because I can see the different products that we use and how those can be implemented into what I want to do and to know why those are better than others and more or less toxic than others. But I mean, mainly it's the separations that I've got my eye on. And as we're printing a complicated edition, uh, we just did a really amazing Glenn Baldridge edition that was 15 colors, I think. It was 15, 16 Dang. colors, and it was all broken down in a bitmap way that dusted every color lightly and then did some opaque and then all together it was a very like bam like aha moment when it was completely finished wow uh, but all of the working proofs just looked totally final and finished to me but it was just <laughs> neat going on press and seeing yeah. like every day was a exciting journey of the next color going down but yeah as a printer you can kind of get that element in as seeing what's what you're doing while you're doing it but seeing the bigger picture of each different step along the way is like so juicy it's so fun to see oh yeah well like when you're doing an edition like that that's like 15 colors like i know for i've done a bunch of different multicolor stuff but often it never got to that complicated you know it's like either i think after a while i wonder if i trained people i worked with to keep it simple mm -hmm. but oftentimes like people when they see the price they're just like Ugh, and you're just like well you could knock off some colors and it saves you money and yeah. then they do it you know and it becomes like the programming that they always kind of go for cheaper. Exactly. But then it doesn't give you this like wonderful, you the know, elaborate experience. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's like loaded because every color you do, the further you get along in the addition, the more like something going wrong could like totally, you know, could ruin a bunch of previously done work. That's oh, already for finished. sure. That's always the risk. That's what makes it fun. So do you have like, are there, are there formulas for like, if you're making like, say like a hundred prints that are 15 colors, like how many overs you need? 
yes. per color layer. So yes. you have like a way to like, you know, you might make like 50 extra prints, but like you're counting on like a whole bunch of them maybe getting fucked up like two for, you know, two in the blue layer, but then you get on the red layer and you screw up three more. That's a really good question. And like, yeah, like how do you deal with that? There's, there's different ways of sorting things so that as I do mess up, parts of the addition from the start I can put those at the end and have the colors that go next sit in the right spot yeah knowing that the colors before that are all wrong so I sometimes just mark ng no good on the corner on the registration corner and then I'll be able to see as I'm placing it that like I don't have to care that much but like I do want to see how this next color overlay works Um, sometimes I'll just throw something on press to just print one to see if the color I'm working on is correct and then can clean out the screen, leave everything set up if the registration is good. But a lot of the time I have to base things out humongously after I think that what I made is going to work and it just won't. But you can't see that by doing drawdowns, by doing swatches, no, blow no. drying it out and seeing it in a little piece doesn't make sense unless you see it in the in the work because it's, uh, it's, it's all very by taste. Like eyeballs taste things, Yeah, mind you. I know I learned from a master printer, pretty much all my screen printing beginning was from this master printer, Chuck Crossland, who had been printing for like 40 years. And that dude could like mix any color like in a flash. Mm-hmm. And then he would just do a little like a little smear That's with his finger. That's what Alex does. Alex and it was just like every time like right on, never yep. had to, never did anything over again. Like he was so efficient and he literally had tried every material that existed in the market because he had such an important job at Hallmark where he printed like all the insider kind of cool stuff. Mm that like every vendor in the world like wanted to get them to buy their stuff so they all fed it all to Chuck and then Chuck knew all these people directly and like you know anyway so but it's like I tried that for years and then it's like you pull the print with it and you're just like it doesn't quite look like my little smear did or you know like there's no way to know without putting ink through the screen and that includes even like the mesh count that you're going to print your final print with because it all just every variation adds potential you know Hazards. Hazards changes. I only have like seven screens that I work on and do, yeah, 15 color editions, 100 of them occasionally in my little live workspace. But um, I keep them all coded. They're all in the dark. They're all ready when I need them. But I always have one extra for whatever I'm working on. I don't burn all my screens at once because I can't. But I also can do two up a lot of the time, but half at a time. Point of the story is that I have backups in order to compensate for mistakes that do happen so whenever i'm doing a really large scale edition i either print twice as many too many um and it doesn't feel wasteful because whatever is not part of the edition i put towards a different use as a cleaning sheet later on totally yeah. um, destroy the cleaning sheets when they're spent but yeah. a lot of the purpose is just for them to be able to be worked on so the the proofs that i do do are important working actually small scale i'm doing a an edition with drawer uh dominique fung is the artist and it's drawer, drawer. There's different ways to say it, drawer. But she Wait, is that her name or that's the name of the publishing platform that okay. sells these prints that I do occasionally. There's drawer I work with, Uprise I work with, and they're really amazing and being patient with me and knowing that my schedule is kind of ridiculous, but that I'll give them the results that they want. Yeah. Um, so instead of doing a full scale proof of what they want of this artist's work, I have to do it like half the scale. Um, but that allows me to do the color tests and to see everything just in a yeah. way smaller scale without wasting materials, exactly. without wasting ink. And then I can scale that up when I'm ready to actually do the addition. But just printing like eight of something tiny is a good way for me to start. And then I can kind of like scale that up when I'm ready to go. But the time thing is what they have to be cognizant of. But it's, it's all, it all works out in the long run for sure to make the final product a lot better. Well, yeah, when you're doing like like nicer level of printing too it's like you kind of need to do like those those 
trial prints, you know, to it like helps. test it all. So I haven't been doing that much lately, but it's yeah. something I've learned recently that is a huge way to communicate with clients that you're looking to do the best work possible, but you maybe don't know exactly how it'll work out until it's done. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, because there's different levels of service. Like, you don't do, like, test shirts or, I don't know. I would always talk people out of doing test prints and, like, like print, you know, It's twice as much work. Kind of it stuff. literally is. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, okay, I'll do the whole, you know, all of the work I'm supposed to do for the actual job just to, like, show you one so you guys can basically tell me it's good and we should go. Like, or they can say we want this a little cooler here or warmer there or yeah. more crisp and or let's just go with CMYK process, like fuck 15 colors. Let's just, <laughs> yeah. let's just keep it simple. But uh, so when you're doing like this chroma work on some of these, like, you know, on like a Glenn Baldridge or somebody's like nice edition, like do you, you probably like pull down like with the screen, like the colors that overlap and stuff just to make sure transparencies and like tritones and everything all mix. And You know, Luther Davis is a really great person to work for because he is great at communicating and knowing what is needed to make the job look right. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily have to know that the trapping will be invisible if the color is this opaque. He just tells me like, this can be transparent, make it to this Pantone. You know, great, I can do that. This one has to be opaque because this artist really wants it to cover the blah, blah, blah below it. All right. You know, yeah. I don't have to know the big picture to do what someone else is telling me to do, but that makes it easier for me to think about how I can employ other people within the business that I want to do. Totally. Uh, but working for others in a way that communication is the basis of doing things correctly mm -hmm. uh, makes it a lot easier to not put too much stress on the wrong part of the mechanism, you know? Yeah. Uh, but no, I totally get that. And like, and yeah, and it is like a totally invaluable for you, like as you build towards like eventually you'll have employees and people that are working under you. And you see, need, I don't know that I want to. You know, maybe you won't. Actually, know. you know, I will say, yeah, I've, there are people I've interviewed who like they're completely fine with just being alone, or they're like a couple and they don't need. You'd think like, but you could do so much more. You could reach bigger. You could be more. You could make a better living, even, or it'd mm -hmm. be more sustainable, or you know, I don't know. Or you could meet the demand that you're you're barely able to keep up with. Or, mm -hmm. I don't know, but. It's, it's each person's kind of different fit. I always felt like I I kind of put myself through the ringer too many times where it's just like I really needed people to like just once in a while help out or just move paper or, mm -hmm. you know, just do different Those things. Those little jobs, like having yeah. an extra set of hands is so clutch. Like it's very necessary to have uh, more than just yourself sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but relying on others, it's risky in some ways, you know, because you don't know yeah. other people's schedules all the time and things change last minute. I can do so much planning ahead of time, but when it does fall through, it's just heartbreaking. So just to have everything work for the job that's in front of me and just to concentrate on what's uh, going on at the moment and communicating with the client to keep them happy is something that I've been getting better at. But to involve other people in the production um, takes a lot of training t from the start so that I can get what I want out of them without being disappointed. So knowing what friends are great at doing certain things allows me to utilize people that I already know and cook them lasagna because they may not, you know, want money out of it, but they just yeah. want to hang out and have a free meal. Great. I can make you lasagna. Touch all these up because I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, and that's it. perfectly happy for me to do that kind of thing with people. And if people want to do that instead of getting paid, I'm happy to accommodate. But um, I forgot what the question was. There was a point to this. Oh, just kind of like the elaborate nature of testing and going, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why that. I'm, not in, I'm not like super eager to scale up or do more and um, expand the 
breadth of my business that I've got going on. I really like being a part of a bigger entity and learning a lot at this point in my career. Mm-hmm. But that also involves teaching too. So I'm training people to be at the level that I've learned to be, doing it the hard way, working in a lot of different industries and uh, sweatshops, t-shirt places, and uh, being a free intern for years in Kansas City, you know, in various shops. But through doing that, I learned a lot about how other people treat me and how I can throw that back and teach other people that their opinion, even though it may not be super experienced, is super valuable because the way that inexperienced people fuck shit up is like amazing. Amazing. <laughs> they do things in the weirdest ways, but Learning that's so from special. Their it's not always bad. You know, you can kind of learn to make those special things work, but um, that's why I don't ever want to be like super controlling when it comes to, I don't know, how, how one thing can be done. You always have to have like an uh, open eye to somebody doing something weird, but it can turn out like way better that way sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, you know, in all, in all aspects of printing, screen printing or beyond, it's like, there's so many just like tricks and weird things that people do that, you know, there's, everyone's got a take on it. Everybody's got a method. And I think what's cool is that we all kind of share generally about it. And although there's like certain, certain people maybe like are kind of secretive, like they maybe figured something out and they don't want you to compete with them. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. like business, That's understandable. business competition and things. But, um, for the most part, like knowledge is so free and shared in the print community, which I really, uh, I like th- so much. Our generation it is, but it used to yeah, be very yeah. secretive and closed off, you know, but it was, there was stuff we would try, we would, we'd be like theorizing, like maybe it's spray paint, maybe it's airbrush, uh-huh. you know, and like, you just don't know. And like, no one will talk to you. And if you ask them, it's like, it's like a faux pas to even go there and like ask, cause they obviously know and they're doing oh it already. God. And you know, but that, I feel like even that kind of thought in my mind, it's like, that was like 10 years ago or five years ago where now it's like, I can go on YouTube and like somebody made a really good video or at least a decent one, like showing mostly of what I need to know. And, and I, and then if you know enough, you can fill in the blanks. Totally. Know? Totally. Um, trial and error goes a long way, but having someone else do that trial makes it a lot easier, but yeah. I don't know. Learning, learning what you can from the internet. Amazing. Trying it with your hands. is a whole different story because so many people are technically good at um, doing really tricky things that make it look super easy, especially online. Um, drywall, for instance, or like plaster work, you know, the way they can like manipulate those little tools super fast. I'm just endlessly fascinated with this old house. My roommate's been watching that a lot. And I yeah. just like <laughs> chow down and watch it with him. Uh, but it's cool to learn different industries and skills of people that can do weird stuff in a cool way. But that can be applied to a lot of different ways in printmaking also. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I'm like a skill collector. I just like learning how to, how things work. And even if I don't need it, it's like someday I bet you it'll come up. Oh, you know? yeah. Like I've, I learned how to do like jewelry making. And so I know how to solder and do all these different things. And it's totally happened where it's like I needed a way to display prints that was like something that doesn't exist. And so I, I just came up with something simple and I like made it out of brass and then I like painted it and I made made little fixtures and things that I would ship with my work cross country and whatever. And That's so special. Good for you. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's just those things where it's just like, I'm glad I didn't have to go to some other person and try to explain it. And then, you know, and, and it's probably like such a nothing to someone who's a professional solder or welder or something that... You know, it'd be it'd be too little for them to even bother with. Like, they probably don't have time to do some like weird thing for this guy who's walked in who just like kind of knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but that's also like I like to do too much. All like I like to do everything myself. But you're a constant like, learner, though. That's like yeah. a, that's a good thing. It's a good quality. Um, and makers. So how do you balance like? 
like you have a day job, you're doing stuff at night and like, you're like living in the midst of it. Like, how do you balance like getting away from that and like giving yourself breathing room or do you? Well, you know, I have daytime activities in my outdoor space so I can read articles in my little swing, um, on Sundays, you know, so (laughs) I, am like a master of being like super prepared in my well-being. So I go to bed at midnight every night. You know, I take care of myself in these various little ways most of the time on average. Yeah. Stretch every day. You know, the, the little ceremonial elements of my day uh, really help my whole balance stay on track. So it's like I, if I don't stretch, like I'm just I'm going to hurt myself for sure. Uh, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm going to hurt myself. But all these yeah, different yeah. ways of trial and error, like messing that up as a younger person, uh, make it so I'm better at taking care of myself at this age. Uh, but you know, I'm also such a fanatic about doing more and trying harder to advance my skill level in printmaking because I've had so many other jobs where I wasn't able to print. Okay. Sit at this desk or like ring these people up or train these other people how to manage custom jewelry and all these different ways, but it's something that I wasn't super interested in. And now that I can do what I really want, I'm so fascinated with doing more and more of the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, print, printmaking is like going on a road trip. You just start doing it and you just keep it up. And the more you try, the better you get at it, but not necessarily like driving is part of that, but <laughs> it's just, well, no, but it is, it's, it, I think for those of us who are in it and on this level, it's just like, it's like a lifelong pursuit and like there's, Weirdly, even though you learn so much, it's like there's always new stuff to learn. There's, there's always, always going to be new stuff. things. There will be like new technologies. And then also your your setting will change. You mm-hmm. know, it's like so you'll be here at one place and you'll have this job. But then it's like you'll get a different job and like you kind of bounce around and it all works. And it all like feeds into like your knowledge base. Little yeah, by but little, whatever you can keep you in know? your own backpack on your shelf, you know, it's yeah. going to be kept by you alone. So it's nice to be able to have a shop that's just mine, you know, always handy for myself. But I can do favors and barter with people that have other things to offer. So oh, it's totally. really amazing to expand my network of friends and people that I do really want to work with. And having the capability to just like print more, do bigger, make money out of that. Do Good in Unity is a project that I have that's a good example of it. Um, and that's basically it. Uh, it's something where I collect money by selling prints, right? And the, the artists that I work with are all women. And Erin Welsh is an artist that I worked with. Did an addition with her also through Uprise, but she's a really amazing person and has a really beautiful mind in terms of it uh, incorporating other people's work to make money for organizations that are charitable. So we have to do less work in terms of finding people to work with. Uh, she finds people to work with and then I can kind of vet them and then she asks them to have statements about themselves and she asks them to find organizations that are small enough so that our little donations that we do make through making these additions and selling them on the street or protests and marches can actually make a difference in those spaces. Yeah. Um, so we've only done eight additions so far, but I just dropped off a bunch of them to the poster house, so they'll be there at least. That's cool. And on my website and other places, but I've been working on wholesale accounts so that those kind of prints can get out there, but... The bigger picture to that project is something where I'm trying to get people, trying to tug them by the heartstrings by making it so that when you do buy this edition, then the money goes towards these cool nonprofit things. And that's great to support small businesses in that way. But um, really, I just want people to buy art. You know, they're stuck with this piece now. They have to either put it on the wall or hold it at a march and have it for keepsake, give it to a friend, whatever, spread the word. Uh, but as an open edition project, like this is something that I can keep doing forever, but it's also something that gets people more accustomed to collecting artwork in the first place. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a great thing. Like, so 
yeah, how do you, like, were you involved in, in some of the, the kind of poli- political action work that K-Rock does? Yeah, I, I just helped print it. it. Yeah, he was yeah. a big, uh, he helped me so much in so many different ways of, A, learning how to be a way better contract printer. I started doing t-shirts there, just cleaning up after people. And then years later, I was doing all of the management work and printing production with paper editions. So um, the amount of stuff that he does is amazing. And the amount of work that he can do is like growing constantly. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate Carl for training me in every different way that I really wanted to work on in that industry. So that also goes with selling art, um, doing a lot with curating people to do projects with him. Uh, but his project that he's, that he's got with charitable stuff that he does is also a huge reason why printmaking can work in that way to just yeah. be a source for making money and then sending it to the people that need it most. So, yeah, it's really impactful just like in a couple of days, just hearing multiple people talk about that because it's, cause you have this power, you can like make all this stuff. It's rather easy to do. And so you're just like weaponizing that to a, a good cause, which, you know, there's so much crazy like negativity and weird stuff in the world, especially now. And like, I think these little separate efforts of good are really like doing something nice on the back end. Yeah. I mean, and that good deed is something that helps promote your own business. So it's not any, there's no, nobody is bad out of that. Like nobody's just collecting money. There's no downside. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what else? Like, I think, I don't even know. I did start. Okay. So I have a timer. We've almost hit an hour actually now. Wow. I know. I always lose complete sight of. I'm not good at time. I know. Well, once you get into <laughs> In this, any way. Just like, I have a vague idea, but not really. No, um, I could do the same thing, even chit chatting for just hours and hours and hours. But um, you know, that's a good thing in printmaking because you can do monotonous stuff forever, and I love that. Oh, I know. It's Turn like, yourself into a robot and see how long you can do that. Yeah, move your body in the same motion, like efficiently. Um, there are things that go into that ergonomical problem that create problems in your body, you know. So that's why, like, stretching is super important. It is, Dana yes. Zinzer, a co-worker of mine, is great at doing yoga and running before and after work. So it's like, oh, my God, I could never take that good of care of myself. But I appreciate <laughs> it when people have that in mind. No, it's, it helps. I can admit, like, I'd, I'm on a health curve that's improving over the course of my life. But, like, I was definitely, like, in in bad shape and not treating myself well for so many years, but it makes the work you do harder, you know, cause it's like your back will get sore and like you just, you just deal with muscle soreness and then things get really jacked up. Like, especially when you're printing, it's like your shoulders, like mm-hmm. you just have all these knots and things and that abuse just like gets, it accumulates. I don't know. It gets worse over time. Um, and then it brain. can turn into like carpal tunnel or like serious inflammation and like bad, you know, Oof. bad stuff. Oof. But well, so if you weren't going, um, Okay, I have two two questions yes. like that are short ones, but when you're screen printing, are you a pusher or a puller? I pull. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to work at Pamela Barsky's studio, and that's printing hundreds of the same thing for hours and hours, which I loved doing. It was one of the first printmaking jobs that I did get in New York, but yeah. um, off of Craigslist. Uh, but I did both. I pulled some and then I learned that pushing was easier on my body yeah um, which if you're doing the same mechanical motion all the time pushing just makes it so your arms don't feel like they're gonna fall off but it like puts a different stress in a different part of your body which it does, I found yeah. but it's like using your body you know your body like pushes it you know yeah the, your body weight motivates your your print to happen not like pulling with your 
10 step shoulders exactly and elbows and you know yeah I, I realized through doing little boomerang videos that it's really difficult to tell what I'm doing some of the time you know cause yeah like, no well I'd like to ask people because every, everyone's got a take and it's like one of those like you know it's like over or under I should have said like, like uh, clamshell press like I don't yeah. do it on my own <laughs> something else is doing that motion um, just kidding it's usually me and then what, oh yeah so I, I like to ask this once in a while um, if you weren't a printer or like say like in the art field like what other types of career would you think you might have ended up doing that's a good question probably design or illustration mm-hmm. um uh, if i could make that work i've tried freelancing in the past doing things of that sort and found yeah. it difficult to come up with a constant creative flow to not have to i mean if there's a project in mind and somebody has a guidelines to go off of then i can always come up with an answer but as a freelancer but Sometimes if you're just left to your own devices, and that's why I'm so impressed by artists that make amazing work constantly. Um, Royal Jarman being one of them is a constant influence in a lot of the printing that I do. But it's, how do you come up with these random things all the time that are gold? You know, I don't want to do that. I don't that. know. I'll be, yeah, I'm the same as you. I've, like, wanted, <laughs> I, like, flirt with it. I, when I moved to L.A., I tried super hard to get jobs, and I was just like, am I an illustrator? And it's just like, but all I do is, like, draw when I do design work. It's like I choose to draw everything every yeah. time. But then it's like, I don't, you know, I didn't train as an illustrator and I don't have a portfolio of it. Yeah. Like, except the random things I've made for clients, which don't all connect. And yeah, it's hard, but it seems like it'd be appealing work and it, it definitely like overlaps with everything else we currently do. Yeah. You know? Like I didn't have a goal in mind, uh, outside of my parents wanting me to do illustration and design. So that could have been something that like influenced my answer to that question, but yeah. I just really like being a robot, so maybe manufacturing, but that's just it's just pulling it out of thin air. I don't know. Good question. I know. Well, we are <laughs> on like an upswing of manufacturing coming back, at least like the kinds that I think you might like to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, not I mean, like, quality control, my God. Not working God. in a car factory, maybe, like on that level, but like... Any job you know, where I have people to people are hand making all kinds of things now. It's that's like true. kind of great. But look um, at whenever anything has to be like inspected up close. Like maybe I'm inspecting stuff. Maybe I would work for OSHA and tell everyone they're terrible and you know find them for stuff. <laughs> You'd come find people with printing presses they shouldn't be using. I'll be the printing um, police at OSHA. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we'll see. Let's see. I think. I've covered everything. I mean, it's nice if we can keep it to an hour. Maybe we should just like sort of end a little bit. But one thing I like to do with these new interviews is um, I'm doing a new segment called Let's Get Technical. Technical. And the question is, name a tool, technique, or trick that you find indispensable in your studio. I really like measuring things a lot. Not not even just because the... And well, also just because of the measure twice, cut once policy. Yeah. I have a messed up paper cutter that is just not square to the backing side. Oh, so it's yeah. just, it just drives me insane. Sorry, Jennifer Mac Watkins. We had some issues with something with that, uh, but we fixed it. So it's no big deal. Um, so technical thing would be maybe a, just a, a ruler, something like that. Yeah. Is that, a, is that an answer? I think so. I don't okay. know. It's like one Measuring, of the basics. Yeah. Because then you, you learn to break it down smaller and smaller and you see like, oh, five sixteenths is just a little more than a quarter, you know, of an, of an inch because it's, you know, you do the math on what a whole inch looks like. Sixteen is the most. Half of sixteen is eight. Half of eight is four. Five sixteenths is a, one little bit more. So, it, you know, yeah. these little micro amounts really fascinate me because my sister and I, when we had to share the same bed visiting my 
grandparents and traveling road trips across the country. Sometimes my dad would put us all in the van and drive us places, which I hated at the time. But looking back, it was nice to see the country in that way. But, you know, I was sharing a bed with someone who's bigger than you. She's older sister. She would take up a lot of the bed. I'd say, move over just an eensy-weensy bit. What does that mean? She just scoots a bit, you know. But, okay, more than that, you know, double eensy-weensy. And you just make up your own (laughs) measuring quantities for these different amounts to to suit your needs. But once you have the the language to uh, communicate that kind of thing better, Maya Hayek taught me a lot about the metric system. It's not that complicated. She's right. It's easier. (laughs) It is easier. I didn't know anything about that because she grew up in the seventies. It was easier to have that be a, a, well, she didn't grow up in the seventies, but you know, it was, it was an institutional push for children back in the day. Fine. Yeah. Knowing that it can work in tenths is a lot more uh, Wouldn't it be so nice if we were like living in that world? I don't know. Somewhere maybe. there's like a parallel universe <laughs> with like a United States that's doing metric. Like, it could happen. I bet you. Maybe um, Albuquerque. I don't know. It's funny. It's it came up yesterday with Carl as we talked here that like we were talking about like metric system and he's like super mathematical in his mind. I know. He, I love his. He's brain. like a big fan and and he was he made this really amazing point about climate change and he was like you know if we saw if we saw temperature in Celsius climate change would make more sense because the degrees of change are much more grandiose like on the smaller scale of temperature than they are on like whatever the Fahrenheit scale is. Fuck yeah, Carl. He's good at that. Fucking genius. Um, So yeah, measuring. Do you even know like all the all the decimal versions of like the fractions? Definitely not. But Carl came up with a chart um, and printed it. I maybe printed it a long time ago and like yeah. took one, but I've still got it. And it's like my Bible. It's on my wall and I like reference it quite a bit because decimals to ruler amounts is not what you would think it would be sometimes. No, it's hard. And, but, I, but the last two places I've worked, they've actually, they put the little chart or something like on the cutter. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always like referencing that. And now it's like solidifying in my brain. It's like, I could tell you almost like what, like one sixteenth or like a 32nd is in decimal and like. I don't know. It's just that stuff you accumulate just because, like, you look it up so many times. It's like, I think I know now. Eventually it like, sticks. what it is. Yeah. yeah. I look up halftone angles every time. Like, I have I know, so many I things that, that I, like, have I, to reference. By, like, I look up this one dude's blog and, like, he listed it is somewhere Is it, like, halftone print page. guide or something? Yeah, it's like, something like that. And I need to just screenshot that. But then I've, like, looked up and, like, there are people who, like, use completely different angles or they don't have any different angles. And, like, you know, it's just, like, it sometimes is, like, a little bit strange trying to decipher all of the different information because you don't know who's right or like who has real authority because mm-hmm. people act like they do mm-hmm. especially when they're like putting it out there in the, in the yeah, world. Yeah, who's like, saying this most confidently? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I would know which one is which or what the answer would be but, you know. Impossible. Um, but anyway. When, uh, when halftones are the same accidentally I've outputted that and then I haven't gotten to print it, you know. I put a film down on what I'm doing before I burn it because I don't like wasting stuff yeah flamingo it's when dots are all at the same angle and it just makes a blob <laughs> language we no. learn it a little a bit a at a time that's a technical term the, the what blop so blop. many good technical terms <laughs> I love that um, I'm excited to hear this segment I know yeah well like so yeah do you have anything um coming up that you're working on or uh yeah, that might be released soon that you want to promote to people, have it people take a look. Yes. There is an edition that just came out with Uprise. Lisa Morrell was the artist that I was working with, and we had several meetings of what 
print capabilities I could actually do in in knowing her work. Uh, she's super good at knowing how colors and value scales can influence composition and all that. Um, so I super love her work in general. But she yeah, came what up, does she do? What does her work look like? She does a lot of light oriented things. So it's a lot of the time like a rose in the dark or a hand, and it's all kind of sign oriented and graphic. Hmm. But she came up with a piece that was all LED looking and had like a dark gradient and a light gradient popping out of that. But it said late in kind of a abbreviated form, and it had a bunch of leaves coming up around it. It was the addition that we did with Uprise recently, and it's up right now at the EAB fair. But, yeah, it was put out through Uprise, and there was an edition of 100 of them, and I printed it at Powerhouse, and that was really fun to use the press nobody uses except for me there. So, AWT, you're my BFF. But uh, Eliza is amazing at understanding what I'm talking about. It's really hard to communicate what I can do to artists until I can actually physically show them. And she caught on to that so fast. And she did an amazing job coming up with this print because a lot of it is just me doing backflips in terms of matching what she's talking about color specifically to also use a lot with the um, sheen of a piece. So, you know, glossy things can sometimes look darker or brighter and pop out at you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is uh, displayed in this print. It's really fun to look at in color-changing lights as well. Wow, cool. It's crazy. Well, that's awesome. Um, Well, yeah, so everyone should look you up. Yeah, how how can people find you uh, online to Um, learn more about you? My website is dogoodpress.com. There's a hyphen in there, du-press.com. Goodpress.com. Yes, my Instagram is at dogoodpress, no hyphen, because you can't. Uh, But I post a lot about what I'm up to and the different things coming out when I can on my Instagram more so than my website. Website's a lot just for services and to explain who I am and what I do. Sure. Uh, But I need to have a page that shows all the different client work that I've done because that's by far the majority. Uh, But I've worked with artists on only just four. I looked up how many artists that I've uh, done publishing with and it, Michael Dotson, Sam Keller, Naomi Clark, and Aaron Hines are the only four people that I've auditioned, which is a little sad after two years of doing this, but that's that's not. I'll just, I'll keep doing it. It's a time thing. I mean, the full timers that I've talked to here and like other people I've interviewed recently, it's like they do like eight prints a year. Exactly. Like, that's like literally all that's they enough. do is they that's go and they amount. work on their prints every day and it's like eight. Yeah. And you can make like a living from like I'm still blown away like you make a living from making eight projects. That's amazing. But like, you're always probably working they're on They're probably something. busy the whole time. But in eating ramen also and they can't. I do. Hopefully. It's yeah. delicious. I don't know. Yeah, it is. And we're talking like instant ramen or like instant ramen but like you the dazzle good, it the up. Good shit around here. Oh yeah, I mean no, 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 instant, you know. Yeah, you're not going to like Momofuku Nah, for, cheaper for the better. <laughs> nah, I just like eat garbage a lot. But you know, put throw some fruits and vegetables in the mix and you're yeah. still alive. Yeah, like you know, suss it up with some vitamins. Um, well, yeah. Well, I think I think this is about it, and I think the fair. I think we're about done for now. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of coming to a close. Thank kind you so much for down. having me. Yeah, thank you for coming this and making time. So it's been great. Finally, to have you on the show and to meet you live in person is great. And love it. Um, well, yeah. Thank you for coming on. You've been listening to The Printcast, a podcast about print shops, the artist, the process, and all the things we make. If you like what you're listening to, help us get the word out by subscribing and leaving a five-star review. 
and sharing with your friends on social media. You can find the Printcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, as well as on the website Printcast.com. Music for the show is by Jazar. Voiceover provided by Jim Bertzall and Rhiannon Bertzall. Take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you again on another episode of The Printcast. Bye for now. Bye.